0: Chapter 12 of the Dogs of Boytown by Walter A. Dyer. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 12 Camp Breeches. Spring came, and with it more training for Romulus until Sam pronounced him a fairly well broken bird dog. May drifted into June, and June into July. Another school year came to a close, and another long vacation period began the great dog show was now a thing of ancient history and things were a bit slow in Boytown. it appeared essential to the happiness and welfare of numerous boys and dogs that something new should be undertaken it was jimmy rogers who suggested it though there were a dozen active eager minds ready to seize upon the idea and develop it they were sitting on the bank of the swimming hole near the brickyard resting after an hour's swim and warming themselves in the sun the dogs were either wandering restlessly about in search of new adventures or were stretched out at their master's feet the boys were somewhat languidly discussing the events of the glorious fourth just past and bemoaning the fact that another one would be so long in coming fourth of july's all right remarked jimmy but i think the most fun in the whole world is camping out whoa scoffed harry barton when did you ever go camping out "'I camped out one night with my father in an old shack over Oakdale Way,' asserted Jimmy. "'That isn't camping out,' said Harry. "'Camping out is living in a tent in the woods all summer, catching your own fish and cooking your own grub and—well, everything.' "'Did you ever do that?' demanded Jimmy. Harry was forced to admit that he never did. "'Gee, I wish we could all go camping out this summer,' said Ernest Whipple. "'It would be great fun to take the dogs along.' well why can't we inquired Jimmy. many of the boys held inwardly a well-founded notion that there would be serious parental objections to a plan of this kind but their ready imagination caught fire at the idea and they were soon in the midst of a lively discussion of plans that gradually settled down from the wild and fantastic to the faintly feasible when they separated that afternoon it was with the hopeful belief that they were going to organize a camping expedition the expected parental opposition developed promptly and decidedly but when a dozen american boys get their hearts set on anything short of discovering the north pole something is sure to happen they did not quickly abandon their rosy project and they set about conquering the opposition by means of a determined siege the chief point of objection of course which indeed appeared insurmountable was the natural belief on the part of parents that it would not be safe or wise to let their boys leave home and go camping out without the guardianship of some older person no arguments could be invented to prevail against this but help came from an unexpected quarter Theron Hammond's older brother Alfred, a student at Yale and a steady, reliable sort of fellow, was spending his summer at home and was finding Boytown a bit dull after the activities of junior year at college. One evening, when Theron had broached the subject for the fortieth time, and his father had once more given a firm refusal, Alfred put in his oar. "'Ah, father,' said he, "'let him go, and give us a little peace in the house. It won't hurt him.' but alfred said his father you know very well it would never do to let those boys go off alone none of the parents would permit it suppose horace and i went with them suggested alfred horace ames was a classmate of alfred's who was also languishing in summer idleness in boytown that put another face on the matter entirely it must not be supposed that the victory was won at once however it required two weeks more of the siege to win capitulation all along the line but the boys conquered at last they liked and admired the college students and accepted their alliance with enthusiastic acclaim alfred talked it over with his chum and the more they discussed it the more they felt that the conducting of this boy and dog camp would be great fun horace had brought home with him from new haven the ugliest-looking and gentlest-tempered bulldog ever seen in the streets of boytown his name was eli and horace vowed he would give eli the pleasure of camping out with the other dogs of boytown eli was in training as a football mascot and horace asserted that a summer experience of this sort was just what he needed As their interest in the project grew, Alfred and Horace decided to take an active part in the campaign, and they called personally on every one of the doubting parents. Little by little, they won them over, until at last the success of the plan was assured. Mrs. Whipple was the last to give way, but Mr. Whipple had already been enlisted in the cause, and he proved, as ever, a loyal advocate. "'You must remember, mother,' said he, "'that Jack is eleven years old now.' yes said she dubiously in her eyes jack was still a rosy-cheeked baby it is never too soon for boys to gain self-reliance said mr whipple this camp will do jack a lot of good and Ernest too they'll have to hold their own on a common footing with the other boys which is what they must do in later life and alfred and horace are as reliable and trustworthy a pair of young fellows as i know they won't let anything happen to our boys so at last even Mrs. Whipple granted a reluctant consent, and fourteen boys, besides the two older ones, were at last enrolled as members of the expedition. At first it had been understood that the camp was to include only members of the Humane Society, and would be a sort of club outing, but Mrs. Hammond suggested that the invitation be extended to include also any boy in town who owned a dog, on the ground that this might serve to recruit new members for the society." alfred seconded this the more the merrier said he so the invitation was sent abroad and had already been accepted in two cases when the troublesome question of dick wheaton again arose the boys didn't want dick at the camp and dick evinced no interest in the project but the bars had been let down and there seemed to be no good excuse for not admitting dick mrs hammond advised them to invite him but before they had done so the matter was taken out of their hands the difficulty was solved for them. One night, Jip, tired of his ill treatment, heartbroken, hopeless of ever being able to win his master's true affection, and doubtless seeking a happier home, ran away and was never again seen in Boytown. So Dick, since he no longer owned a dog, was automatically eliminated, much to the relief of those who did not want him. It seemed a just retribution that he should lose the creature that loved him so, but it is doubtful if Dick cared very much. I only hope, said Mrs. Hammond, when she was told about it, that this will teach Dick a lesson, and that poor Jep will find a good master, and pass the rest of his days in peace and happiness. He is a dear, loving little dog, and he deserves it including eli there were fourteen dogs in the party which was more than had at first been counted on for not all the members of the humane society were dog owners though the outsiders all had to be It happened in this way. Frank Stoddard had long been pleading with his parents to be allowed to have a dog, and at last they surrendered and gave him one on his birthday. Mr. Stoddard believed in doing nothing by halves, and so he purchased a really fine young collie, sable and white, named McTavish, and usually called Mac for short. So Frank had a canine companion for the camp, and his cup of joy was full. And there was still another new dog in town, eliot garfield's uncle who knew of the boy's earnest desire to own a dog sent him early in august an old english sheepdog the uncle wrote that he was going to travel a bit and that if eliot would guarantee to give his dog a good home he might have him for his own you may believe that eliot was not slow in agreeing to that proposition it was a pedigree dog named darley's lancelot of middlesex that was a name no one could be expected to use in calling a dog and even lancelot seemed a bit strange so elliot who possibly lacked originality rechristened him rover most of the residents of boytown had never seen an old english sheepdog before and rover attracted not a little attention on the street some people even laughed at his big round head with hair over his eyes and his shambling gait and lack of a tail But they soon got used to him, and came to admire his wonderful grey and white coat. And Rover turned out to be one of the jolliest dog companions in Boytown. He loved the water, and when he got his coat thoroughly wet, he seemed to shrink to half his normal size. He was really not much bigger than Romulus, but when his hair was dry and all fluffed out, he looked as big as a Newfoundland. With Rover and Mac added to the party, it began to look like a pretty big affair, as indeed it was alfred and horace entered into the spirit of the thing with zest and arranged for the tents and general equipment they had both been camping in the adirondacks and they knew just what was needed so they drew up a list of the things each boy must provide for himself warm blankets a bag to be stuffed with sweet fern for a pillow mosquito netting and an aluminum plate bowl and cup for each boy a dish for his dog knives forks spoons etc besides the requisite clothing and toilet articles it was all done very systematically there was one thing that bothered alfred and horace and that was the cooking they ordered a store of supplies, the boys having all contributed to a fund for that purpose, but that did not solve the problem of three meals a day. The boys had been inclined to pass over this detail somewhat lightly, but Alfred and Horace knew from experience that feeding a dozen hungry boys was no joke, and they didn't intend to have their vacation spoiled by the necessity of turning to themselves and doing all the work one day mr morton stopped alfred hammond on the street and asked him how the plans for the camp were progressing everything is going fine said alfred except for two things we shall have to postpone our start for a day or two because the tents haven't come yet then there's the question of the cooking i'm blessed if i know how that gang of youngsters is going to be fed mr morton stood and thought a moment maybe i can help you out he said at length i'm just starting off on a little vacation myself and i've been wondering what i'll do with moses moses was mr morton's colored man about the place i haven't enough to keep him busy during my absence and it wouldn't do for him to fall into habits of idleness how would you like to take moses along with you and guarantee to keep him out of mischief he was once an assistant chef or something in a summer hotel and i believe he's a first-rate cook his services would cost you nothing because i have to keep up his wages anyway i'd be mighty glad to know that he was being kept busy say that's a mighty white of you mr morton said alfred moses for hours he's just what we need so that matter was settled mr morton explained to moses just what was required of him and moses became a not unwilling member of the party the tents which had been ordered from new york came at last there were two of them, good-sized ones, each capable of accommodating seven of the younger boys and one of the older ones. Horace Ames had a small tent of his own which would serve for Moses on the appointed day. The boys congregated at the Whipple' stable, each bringing his personal equipment strapped in his blanket. The campsite that had been chosen was at Mallard Lake, about nine miles from boytown, and two wagons with drivers had been engaged to convey the outfit. Presently, one of these wagons appeared, containing Moses, Alfred, Horace, the tents, a stack of old lumber, a box of cooking utensils, and a second-hand kitchen range, besides a number of boxes containing provisions. When the boys had heaved their personal belongings aboard, it made a big load. Then the human part of the expedition loaded itself into the second wagon, with much laughter and skylarking, and the party was ready to start. The dogs were allowed to run alongside, and a lively pack they were. Mrs. Whipple, with a look of anxiety still on her face, came to the gate to wave goodbye. They arrived at Mallard Lake about noon, and after unloading and sending back the wagons, they sat down to partake of the picnic lunch that each had brought with him. Then came the task of pitching camp. It was no small thing to accomplish before dark, but there were many hands to engage in it and efficient leadership. The camp was located in some pine woods that ran down close to the shore of the lake. On the other side of a little cape was a sandy beach that looked like a good swimming place. Across the lake there were two or three farmhouses where the leaders had arranged for supplies of milk, eggs, butter, bread, and baked beans. All the available floating craft on the lake had been hired, and three rowboats and a canoe lay drawn up on the bank a little way back in the woods was a spring of clear pure cold water for drinking purposes and a pool where the milk and butter could be kept fresh the leaders told the boys however that they would have to wait another day before indulging in an exploration of the surroundings of the camp there was much to be done before night and all must get to work the two tents were pitched on a little rise of ground back from the water and each boy was set to work gathering balsam boughs for his bed these were strewn a foot thick on the ground inside the tents and the blankets were spread upon them each boy being assigned his place they also stuffed their pillows with balsam waiting till another day to gather the fragrant sweet ferns in a nearby pasture each boy also cut stakes and drove them into the ground about his bed to hold his mosquito netting ropes were strung overhead to hold clothing and there were two lanterns for each tent moses meantime had pitched his own tent and made his own bed and now they all turned to to help him knock together a rough shack to serve as cook-house and pantry then a long dining-table and benches were built and a frame erected over them on which was spread an old awning the range was set up in the cook-house the provisions were stored away firewood was cut and moses started preparations for supper soon a fragrant smoke was issuing from the stove-pipe which before long was mingled with the smell of frying bacon and other things cooking that made every boy acutely aware of his appetite still alfred and horace kept them at work cleaning up around camp Laying a stone foundation for a campfire and erecting a lean-to shelter for the dogs in stormy weather, for it was voted not to allow the dogs to come into the tents. Moses made good his reputation as a cook, and a prodigious amount of provender disappeared at supper that night. The boys were in high spirits, and so were the dogs. The latter, not yet accustomed to their new surroundings and not realizing that they were to stay there, were restless and excitable and gave some trouble, but they were at last persuaded to quiet down. It was decided to tie them to the lean-to for a few nights until they should learn the rules and regulations. After supper, while the boys were gathering brushwood for a campfire, Jimmy Rogers hoisted the camp ensign, which created a roar of laughter i must explain about this ensign and the name of the camp some time before they had discussed the subject of naming the camp but could agree on nothing mrs hammond had suggested camp b h s the letters being the initials of the boytown humane society this did not fully please the popular fancy and yet they did not like to discard mrs hammond's suggestion they began trying to find a word or words in some way made up of BHS. Alfred Hammond suggested Camp Beeches, That sounded something like BHS, he said, and they would very likely find beech trees about the camp. They adopted this name for want of a better one until Jimmy, in a moment of inspiration, changed it to Camp Britches this name really had no very deep meaning but somehow it tickled the boys and it stuck being still further revised in process of use to camp breeches the ensign which jimmy tied to a sapling in front of the camp was an old pair of boys trousers it would require a whole book to tell of all the episodes that went to make up the life of camp breeches during the next week of the fishing and swimming the exploring expeditions and burying parties of how the boys built a landing wharf for the boats and a diving raft and how they divided up the routine duties of the camp some of these episodes were glorious fun some were not so pleasant taken altogether they made up a memorable experience moses proved to be a master at making griddle cakes and other good things and once or twice a boy ate not wisely but too well and required the attention of the camp physician horace ames but for the most part they were healthy and happy and incidentally they learned many things about looking out for themselves one night a thunderstorm broke a veritable cloud burst and the boys had to put on their bathing trunks and go out and dig deeper trenches around the tents to keep the water from running in and soaking everything on another occasion a high wind blew one of the tents down on its sleeping inmates causing more fright than damage perhaps the best part of it all was the evening campfire By that time the boys were physically sufficiently weary to enjoy resting, and the pangs of hunger being well satisfied through the ministrations of Moses, they would light their pile of brushwood and lie about it, wrapped in blankets on the cool nights, and watch the flames and fondle their dogs and gossip drowsily. Sometimes there was storytelling at which Albert Hammond was an artist, and one afternoon sam bumpus came by special invitation walking all the way from his shack and that evening they had stirring tales of moose and deer hunting in maine then of course there were always the dogs sometimes it seemed as though there were too many of them and it was necessary to make each boy strictly accountable for the actions of his own mr o'brien was a constant source of trouble and unrest and there were times when it almost seemed as though they would have to send him home still everybody liked mr o'brien after all wicked as he was he was as smart as a whip and he had a way of worming into your affections in spite of you romulus and remus had to be watched because of a tendency to go roaming off together on hunting expeditions of their own Rags was, as ever, a general favorite and heaps of fun, and Rover, the old English sheepdog, proved to be almost as playful and humorous. He was wonderfully active for a dog who appeared to be so clumsy. He could hold his own in a scrap, too, as Mr. O'Brien learned to his sorrow. In aquatic sports, Rover shone. Speaking of the dogs, there came a night when one of them nearly upset the entire camp. It was the handsome Collie McTavish, he strayed away from camp in the evening and managed to get into trouble with a little animal that is sometimes found in the woods whose method of defence is peculiar it was a black and white skunk mctavish returned very unhappy just as the boys were getting to sleep seeking help and consolation in his distress he entered the tent where his master lay in less time than it takes to tell every inmate of that tent was out in the open air Moses and Horace took the collie down to the lake, washed him as thoroughly as they could with strong tar soap, and then tied him out in the woods where the poor unfortunate's howls disturbed the camp's rest all night. They could not send him home, and it was two or three days before he was entirely fit for human companionship again. End of chapter 12